What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Basics Podcast. Today is a super special episode because I'm sitting down with Derek Camacho, who's the CEO and founder of Tona Kiteboarding, and is someone who's kind of been a huge part of my life since I was a little kid. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Tona, a little bit about his history on how, you know, he got into water sports and how he started a kiteboarding company and all this fun stuff. So yeah, what's up Derek? Good to be here, Jake. I'm glad, glad to finally get to do this. Yeah, stoked to kind of have this format uh, laid out so we can just sit down and kind of hash out some of that history that's, you know, been cooking up for years and years. Sounds like a plan. So yeah, like usually I like to start off the podcast by just going into your backstory, you know, like early on when Derek was a young kid growing up, kind of what was your life like and how did you get introduced to water sports? Wow, we're going way back now. Um, Born in the Caribbean, you know, so we're always surrounded by water, but I kind of moved around a lot early on. Um, In 809, I moved to Singapore again by the ocean. Went to college in Hawaii, so I've always been around the ocean sports. But from a young age, there was something about surfing and surfboards that always captured my eye. Um, aesthetically, just the shape alone uh, used to please me. And of course, when I was old enough to get into surfing and actually start surfing, I, and I found there was a passion for it that I, I couldn't quite explain. It wasn't just a, as a uh, an athlete doing the sport, but also I, I had a curiosity about how things work and uh, how to make uh, surfboards or even water sports. I got into sailing uh, very early too, thanks to my uncle. Um, so I've been around the ocean uh, pretty much all my life. And whenever I was not, I was uh, dreaming of ways to get back to the ocean. <laughs> I hear you. And where did that first like ocean experience happen? Great question. As far as I can remember, my parents were always taking me to the beach. So anytime we had time off, holidays, weekends, we were at the beach. So it wasn't even a... Uh, uh, a thing we did. It was just part of our life, just uh, showing up at the beach and yeah, yeah. for any reason at all. But then um, I think at an early age when I started sailing boats, you know, I started realizing, you know, leaving the shoreline and just experiencing the ocean. And, you know, it's just a different world out there. That really got me hooked that, you know, there's a life surrounding the ocean that that I just intrigued me all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. That's super cool. And you say you moved around a lot. Where, where did you spend most of your time, like, doing water sports? And was it just everywhere from moving around? Or was it, like, certain sections that really, like, you know, hooked the hook deep? Uh, <laughs> um, I would say I moved to Singapore, of all places, when I was about nine. So I had the taste of the ocean in my, in my blood and my veins. And, you know, Singapore is surrounded by ocean, but there's not a lot of water sports there. Um, so I remember as a young kid uh, being intrigued by the surfer magazine, seeing about surfing and dreaming about Hawaii and, and what it's like. And so at about 9 or 10, or, 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 you know, I really got the, bitten by the bug of the uh, surfing and the surfboard. Um, and so I used to go on vacations to Hawaii and just that's why I got introduced to actual surfing in Hawaii as a young age, so 11, 12. And it was about 13 when surfing came on the scene. And even though we didn't have the waves in Singapore, we had a racing scene, so I was able to mix my yachting with my windsurfing and I started competing at a young age in Singapore. You know, I'm doing pretty good on the local scene, you know, but it's just my, what we call Olympic style racing, just triangle racing. Mm-hmm. So I got my competitive spirit going, um, just actually competing on the ocean in uh, uh, windsurfing. And then from there, of course, every time I looked at a windsurf board, I said, hmm, maybe I could do, uh, make, make it perform a little better, do a little better. And I started experimenting with making boards back then yeah yeah that's kind of what i want to talk about a little bit too because like where did that wanting to experiment and wanting to shape wanting to improve gear where did that come from was that something that you just always kind of had in you 
Because, like, not everyone rides a board and thinks, like, ooh, I can shape a better board or make this better. People may think I can get a better board, but not everyone's going to be like, I can make my own better version of what I'm already writing. So where did that come from? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I thought everybody was that way until I realized people were not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought everybody thought they could make something better. Maybe I was just being pompous and, and full of myself, thinking I can make anything better. But I do it now. I make guitars because I figure I can make a better guitar I can buy. I do it with my motorcycles, yeah, my yeah. surfboards. Um, I, I, always, I, I learned later on in life that I always had it in me. I didn't know it was an asset. I thought, first of all, everybody thought that way. Um, I always have the ability to look at things and try to figure out how it works. And then, uh, back then, my stupidity, thinking I can actually make it better. Um, so there I was in Singapore now, which wasn't a surfing community, thinking I can make a better surfer, surfboard or windsurfer. So, you know, back then we couldn't get access to foam, so we'd go and take refrigerator doors from the junkyard, rip the, the metal and the plastic off it, we get the polyurethane foam in there, stick them together and shape boards. You know, that's the way it all started for me. And again, uh, at a young age, I was experimenting, thanks to my uncle who got me into sailing. He, I started experimenting with uh, fiberglass resins. You know, I had quite a few science experiments uh, that didn't go so good initially, learning to mix the uh, catalysts and the, uh, and the resins. But um, I figured it out. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, when I started experimenting, whether it was actually making a better product, I just felt better writing my stuff. Yeah. Um, so it started, it, says, it pleased me. Um, that I, and I, it just allowed me to expand my thought process into the design to then you know, see how it actually manifolds itself out into the actual end result. And then from then I was able to get a good feedback and, and slowly realize that what I was making actually was an improvement of what I was trying to achieve from what I was currently writing. So yeah, it goes back, and again, back then, I, it's, I think I call it stupidity now, but it was just, I always had this thing that I, maybe I can make it better. I, you know, I'm not disrespecting the guys who made the original product. I said, maybe I can just make it better for me. That was yeah. my goal, just for me. Always customizing, always speaking. You bet. That's super cool, man. And then I guess that is what made you start DC Kiteboards back in the day. Yeah. Like, how did that come about? Uh, Where do you go from, like, you know... I'm tweaking my own gear, maybe making some gear for my close friends. Where does it go from, all right, I'm just making a little one-off to like, I'm going to start a company and actually let people know that I can be the guy to make them a good board. Good. When was that switch? Well, you know, it wasn't a, a, a particular moment where we said, I got to make a company to do that. That wasn't my goal. So when I first started kiting, I first I was into my windsurf and I used to make some of my windsurfers in Hawaii when I was competing in Hawaii. And I used to hang out with some of the local shapers in Hawaii too. And you know, I was when these guys were sponsoring me, I'd, I'd go to watch them make my board. So I used to learn a lot from them as well. So that's what got me into the official shaping room and understanding the process. So I got to, started making my own windsurfers and uh, surfboards. And then kiteboarding came on the scene. And I was on a trip back to Antigua, just visiting my folks. And when I saw Andre at the beach kite. Board and I was like, holy smoke, this is new. And being the typical windsurf, I'm like, ah, that's just a fad, it'll never last, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know? So I was one of those um, original windsurfers that just said, ah, this, this, it's just a fad. And then in Antigua, I decided to give it a shot with the kite. So I had a lesson uh, set up right there at Jabba Walker, your, yeah. your, your backyard. You know? What year was that? Oh my gosh, you put me on the spot now. <laughs> uh, how old you almost have been what seven or six i don't know what, yeah, yeah i mean it was way that, back i, I don't know. know it was way back it, it, i started in 2004 it was like three four oh, man. this is so in, this this is in the 90s this is in the 90s yeah mid 90s i would say wow yeah mid to late 90s 
So you um, tried it and then... I tried I was hooked. I mean, I didn't get up for, for nothing. I mean, I, I got up and just skated across the, the, oh, the yeah. water, board perpendicular, just skipping across. Like but pe- I loved it. People don't understand too, like learning to kite back then was not Two like learning kite. to kite now. It's <laughs> a, it was a whole different sport. Yeah. So, you know, I was skipping across the water. I got my eyeballs sunburnt. And I, 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 was, I got back to Florida now and I was just super stoked. And again, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go buy a board. I, I have all the material there. I'm going to try making, uh, making the board. In fact, I still have the board in my, in my shop, the original number one, wow. you know. Um, and so I, I started, ma- I made a board for me to learn on. Um, and then I learned kiting and, and I progressed. I started making some more boards. Because coming from windsurfing and surfing, making the kite boards back then was actually easier. I can make them faster, less material. It's a yep. little cheaper. I can yep. experiment more. The sport was moving so fast that, you know, you couldn't buy a board today and it couldn't six months time you have obsolete stuff you know wow. so i like the fact that i could try my own stuff so i was doing that and again back in my local scene now the boards i didn't use my friends wanted to try so they started riding it uh in you know down at delray um and they were riding it and they say hey you know they would maybe break it one day and say they want another one so yeah, okay, yeah. i'll make one for a couple guys and they started covering the cost i'm like this is perfect i get to experiment i get to make more stuff yeah and it doesn't cost me anything yeah. and it just got on realized all you know the scene came out and all of a sudden i started getting interest on the you know that's when the time the internet started coming up mm-hmm. uh, so people started seeing posts on the kite forums about my boards and, and not just the local guys, people ask me, hey, can you make me a board? I'm like, sure, why not? You know, so they, it never started off being, I want to make a kite brand. Yeah. So it just started organically where I just started making boards. And if people liked it, they, they, they requested another board. Interesting, yeah. Because it's cool because I remember back in the day, like, kiteboarding production gear was bad. Like, if you were brand new and you're taking a lesson, you would be forced to ride this, like, dangerous piece of gear that as soon as you can go up in, it's useless. So, like, custom boards and your boards especially for me because i was exposed to andre and all this stuff you could see like whoa that's like the board that i want to get i want to save my money up and get one of those because that's actually going to help me have better sessions and just have better gear so back in the day like custom boards were super like popular everyone had to have yeah. if you were good at kiting you had, you a, had custom a custom board so there was a huge kind of demand for that stuff that's correct i think it, it spilled over because of um Windsurfing morphed into kiteboarding, so that basically uh, they were using the same windsurfing factories or windsurfing technology, windsurfing materials. So it was clunky designed. You're right. It wasn't. You know, they were trying to lead the industry because it was a production run, so there was investment made. So they're trying to say, well, we want you to ride this board. This is what. This is going to be the next thing. And then, you know, when you got a custom board, you got exactly what you wanted, and that just took off because the sport was so new, so dynamic. Guys were riding small boards. Long boards, yeah, narrow boards, had their own whatever they wanted, yeah. you know. So that's what custom boards really took off, and you know. So yeah, at the right time of the sport, you know, I think custom board makers all over the world were doing pretty good with kiting because initially everybody, you know, go to your local shape and and get something really awesome made. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Because that's kind of like when we first got connected, because. Like, you were shaping boards for Dre for quite a few years, and I saw all his boards, and I was like, damn, like, I, want, I want to get a board like that. And like, obviously, young kid, can't really afford to buy a board. And then you ended up sponsoring me a super cool, very small, like a yeah. 123 well, or something, like a one that's super right, tiny when board. I, and I came and saw you ride, and I saw your dad holding on to your harness handle to keep yeah. you from flying off the ground, and you, you know, you're this high. 
I knew you needed a small board, and there's nobody making those boards on the market. Yeah. But I wanted to make you a board that you know, get you get you the same result at your weight that Dre would get on his weight yeah. with his board. So yeah, that's I can't remember the size of it. It was 122 maybe. It was super really tiny, super yeah. tiny. Nice uh, wide stance on it too. Wide, yeah, you were into the wide <laughs> stance back then. There wasn't much board beyond your toes, yeah, but it, was, it looked really cool. Yeah, so that's and that's when yeah. So when I saw you get involved and um, and it was taken off in Antigua, uh, they were super stoked to, um, to see you getting so enthusiastic about the sport and, and yeah. taking it. So I was, I was I'm so proud of being glad to be a part of that. Uh, that oh part man, of it. game changer helped so much because I was actually on good gear and you had the whole slider base on the bottom of the boards because right. we were back. starting to hit we're rails and kickers and yeah, all that stuff. The guys in Florida didn't understand that. What are you doing that for? Like, yeah. oh, don't worry, the guys in Antigua got this covered. Yeah, super <laughs> cool. And then I guess that can kind of transition into the like now because now there are production gears a lot better. Like most people ride production gear, I think a way smaller percentage now ride custom. It still exists, but the general public, myself included, like the board that's that now Tono make, like I'm stoked on them. Production gears come a long way. So like, what would you say your main the main differences between like production gear now versus like custom shape stuff? Like how come production has caught on to being so good and accessible in a sense. Uh, that's good. The, the, the production, um, the manufacturing capabilities are different now. Yeah. So when we started, finally evolved beyond windsurfing production factories and they started looking at the wakeboarding factories who've been waking wakeboards for a long time, we started to borrow their technologies so that uh, they started to cater more to what the needs were for a wake style rider or mm -hmm. a kiteboard so we started to share technology figure it out so for me as a custom board maker now the advantage i got was the consistency that comes from a production so uh, as you know when i make boards for you we'd make a prototype custom made and we'll pick the one that works best for you and we take that one and replicate it into production yeah now I can make four custom boards that I tell you is the exact same, but because it's made by hand, it won't ever be. Mm -hmm. So we picked the best one. Now, with the production manufacturing technique that we use now, we can replicate that board. And we can try different techniques of, of, of fiberglass, resin ratios, core materials, yeah. and really get what we want. So we take the custom board and use that as a starting point for the yeah, production so everything board. still starts custom Whereas but you before, can just before in the old days it was you take a production board and then see how you want to make the custom better mm. so it's kind of reversed now because of the technology that we're using to make these boards and um and i think right now you're right a solid shape the board that comes from a good origin the production version is probably better than the custom version because mm. i probably still have all the custom versions of our prototypes yeah. up in the attic somewhere here but when I ride the production version, because the quality control, I yeah. think it's a better product. The material's tougher than a custom and yeah, all that stuff. Correct. So. Cool, man. Yeah, so you got so much history with all the shape <laughs> and stuff. It's crazy. Because how long have you actually been shaping making boards? Feel, making me feel old. Uh, I started <laughs> when I was 13 and 51 now. So I can like do, who do starts shaping a board at 13 years old? That, like, was that from your uncle and all that stuff? Yeah, because you know, someone he, had to like yeah. show you that that was something you could do. Like my, my, my father himself wasn't into fiberglass or boating, but my uncle was. And he yeah. gave me the confidence to try it. Yeah, you know who gives a kid Showed 13 years old exactly yeah, yeah. just to see what can be because he used to make sailboats and stuff so I used to just be intrigued that from nothing from liquid and cloth he has this racing yeah. boat yeah, you yeah. know so I always had that vision and and just experimenting and you know the result was awesome sometimes sometimes you have failures but you yeah, know yeah. When you got it to work but and you have something kind of, that like yeah. it's real and it works and yeah and it's kind of nice because you kind of see if something fails or, or succeeds, you kind of know why, because, oh, that's what I did to make it good, or that's what I did, it didn't work so well. Yeah. So all that kind of sticks in my mind and, and, and builds up over the years, over many, many years. For sure. 
And then like, I want to touch on, you know, going from, you know, you started off making just customs and you started DC boards, which was like customs, but kind of more scalable. And then when does it go from just DC boards to becoming toner as like an actual company that started off making boards? Now we make kites. Like when did it go from just you one-on-one shaping to wanting to like make production stuff? Why did that happen? And like, when did that happen? Okay, why it happened is that, okay, um, I got to the point where my objective wasn't to be stuck in a shaping room reproducing the same boards all the time, all day, every day. Yeah. Uh, that stifles my creativity. Um, and it gets repetitive and I lose the love for what shaping is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started just doing custom and then I realized I couldn't make enough customs. Basically, I would not be physically home enough <laughs> to do enough that people wanted to buy. Yeah. Uh, and that's about the time when Dre was doing really good on the scene. It got really well. And I've known Andre just like yourself since he was a kid. Um, you know. And so we met in Antigua uh, on one of my trips back home. And um, I said to him, you know, he has a huge following and he was doing well, very well in the kiteboard industry. And there am I, the up-and-coming up custom shaper. You know, I'm like, why can't we merge the two and see if we can just do more out of this? It makes no sense. You know, we're from both from the islands. We both love the same things about the sport that mm-hmm. attracted us to it, mm-hmm. even though we study different age demographics. But we both had the same passion. I'm like, you know, the Caribbean has a lot of talent, but a lot of time we don't have the resources to, to see our dreams through. You know, yeah. uh, me moving to the States, I was able to, to, to get hold of the resources that, yeah. that I need to make it happen. So I wanted to tap in to Andre's talent and see if we can make something of it. And so we just put our heads together and it, was, it wasn't a goal. It was just a, by the way, let's discuss this and realize, you know, there could be something here. Yeah, might as well. You know, we could get into the sport for the right reason, you know, driven by, for the right motivation and not, not on a necessity. It didn't, mm. ha- it didn't have to succeed. Yeah. I think that's what we loved about it. I make boards for him that works. If he like doesn't like it, he didn't write it, I don't make it. Yeah. You know, and so we had a good relationship going on and and um and I, I think it helped his ride in uh, you know, having the ability to be exposed to different uh shapes and not be confined to one a particular model that he had to promote or sell. So I think he saw the value in that and just from there now it's just kind of like, hey, what if and here's where we are. That's how the tone of brand started. And initially it was just boards, as you know. Um, because that's all we had access to. I decided to uh, look for manufacturing techniques and facilities around the world that will, more importantly, produce the custom that I was trying to do, yeah, yeah. the replication of that. Um, and, then, and then it just took off as boards and at first. Super cool, man. Yeah, it's been fun because I've been a part like, fairly early on, and yeah. it's cool to see the progression from you know one board, one graphic, going yeah. out to... Yeah. You know, now we got three boards it's and the exciting. shapes are changing yeah. and graphics and just having the final product. Yeah. For me, like all our gear, I always tell everyone this, but like our gear just kind of presents Caribbean feel. Yeah. You put it anywhere in the world and like it kind of just makes you think tropical. Yeah. And so it's super cool seeing the physical real product after all these, I'm, you know. I, what's good about that is that we don't try to do that. As you know, yeah. when I come out to you guys and say, give me a design or give me a graphic, we we're are, not saying really, we got to yeah. be tropic. That's just who we are. That's just that's what resonates with us yeah. in terms of the look and feel yeah. of the brand. And more importantly for me as a shaper, that's resonates with me because I know the board came from somewhere. It's been designed from scratch. It's not on, on a computer. It's not, you know, not a, a tweaking of a production board. So it, it has a soul. And all that comes from our Caribbean background, yeah. the way I design a board. I know what we're going after, what drives us, what makes us like certain boards. Yeah. And what, at the end of the day, what makes us have that fun factor yeah. pegged. You know, that, that's, our, that's our goal. So, yeah, it's something we don't try to do, you know, but it's just, it's just, it's who, just we who we are. are. Yeah. 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 
for sure. And then, like, you know, there's a lot of kite brands out there. Every, you know, these days, everyone's kind of trying to make kites, trying to make boards. There are a few guys who've been around for a long time. So, like, why should people care about Tona? What makes Tona, like, slightly different to the everyday kite brand or a kite brand that's been around for a while? There's a lot of good brands. I mean, most of the guys who have these major brands now, these guys I windsurfed with back in the day. So I have an utmost respect for them. Yep. I really dig what they're doing. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be involved in the sport. So I would never diss them or anything like that. But what I'm seeing now is that what I, thought, what I, what I know we have, which I don't think the general public knows, is that our brand has a has a birthplace. It, it you know it's it, I hate to use the word organic because it's so overused. Yep. Um, but as you just discussed, our board comes from a piece of foam, fiberglass. It you ride it, you try it, you like it. We do a few different ones. It's very organic, and we're not tied to any specific schedule or or any sort of pressures from uh, distributors that we have uh, you know historically been delivering to that we have to make a certain board by a certain time. We continue to make a board that's great. If we can, if I can tweak it, I'll tweak it. Yeah. I'll tweak it tomorrow and put out another model. If I can't tweak it for two years because I can't come up with a better design, I'll tell you, I got nothing. Yeah. Nothing yet. Wait, maybe another material may come out or a different style of riding may come out. Yeah. And I'll say, bring it back in. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. You know, so I think what I would like to get across is for people to see it, Tona, that we really are a brand with a, a sort of a, a soul, a, a, a real core of what we like about the sport and not just an opportunity where, hey, I have access to a factory, yeah. I have access to design, I have access to a computer, let's make some kite gear. Yeah. You know, which it's, you know, you can get some OEM brands out there that have good quality stuff, but you know, uh, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not buying into the, to the whole vibe of the brand. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you're just getting sure. a product. And I, I want people to connect with us and I want to connect with people. That's what I loved about custom uh, board making when the guy showed up in my shaping room and we sat there we spoke like this yeah. what do you want what do you like and I get all these hand movements yeah, I wanted to do this yeah, I wanted yeah. to do this <laughs> you know that that to me that's the passion of it and as a brand that's what I want Tona to be that brand where people can say you know they've followed them from, from the beginning they know how we've got everything we put out there it's, it's been through a rigorous process yeah. of, of not just design and, and manufacturing but of, of, of sort of a loyalty to a brand uh, sort of a beginning progress and then an end result yeah yeah for sure 100 i think overall too we're all a bit selfish because we want to make good gear just like yeah. you said in the very beginning you know yeah. there's a lot of good kite gear out there but we have our own specific taste and we have our own flavor that we want to add to what we're writing i think me dre and yourself all have that in us so yeah. it's cool to actually be able to apply all that and tweak everything to get it to where we're stoked on it and we know if you just hop on try it feel it touch you're gonna it, love it you're, gonna you're love probably going to be stoked on it yeah so. you know and you know initially when, I was, when Dre and I were starting this now you know we could have gone to any of the kiteboarding established kiteboarding factories that already were making stuff a lot yeah. of them we approached and they approached us and you know hey we can do this and a lot of initially we won't get in the quality that I needed. I didn't want to just be another kite brand, yes. uh, you know. So we actually turned away quite a few uh, opportunities with different factories until I got the ones that I wanted. And we found, you know, we borrowed some technology from the wakeboarding industry, which has been around a lot longer than kiting. Yep. And I think we were one of the first ones to really go hardcore, you know, with the wakeside manufacturing and use their technologies. Yeah. Um, so. It, it, it gave us, because of the passion for the brand, it gave us the opportunity to not just have to go with the first available manufacturer. We kind of, and we still do it. We still go around and look for the best way to make a particular board. One design may be better at this factory, one design may be better at that factory. Yeah. It all depends what we're looking for out of that board. Yeah. Alrighty, so yeah, you know, Tona's been 
been around for a while and you've been growing the company as a actual kiteboarding company for a little while. What has been like the hardest part of growing a kiteboarding company in the current like kiteboarding industry climate? Huh. <laughs> okay, if I take my shaper cap off and put on my business mind cap, um, I can answer that question a little better. Um, the kiteboarding industry sort of morphed from the windsurfing industry. So there were a few handful of major brands that had major distributions already mm -hmm. set up. Mm -hmm. And all it did was kind of swapped windsurfing for kiteboarding. So they already had this established reach in certain markets throughout the world. So, okay, so if this store A would normally order 100 windsurfers, you know, next year I can get them to order 40 windsurfers and 60 kiteboards. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of those brands had the advantage now of, of just plug and play into the distribution system. Um, and and those, are, those are some powerful distribution systems. And it's very difficult for a young brand like us or even a new brand back then to sort of fit into that because we just can't meet those numbers. Yeah. So we have to go back to this original approach of if we make the equipment good enough and people get to know who we are and trust us as a company, mm -hmm. They'll make the investment in the brand, even if it's one person for one board at the beach or a store for three boards or a distributor for 50 boards. Yeah. So we really had to fight hard to um, find a way to get the product to the market. During that time now, in the last 15 years, the industry has changed because of the internet. Yeah. So the distribution model that worked so successfully for the windsurfing and for the early kite days is challenged now. Um, and, and we're seeing the results of that with the different brand name changes and, you know, and that's just, that was expected. Now, luckily, we're not part of that, uh, so it doesn't affect us, but it still means we have challenges to how do we get our product from us to the rider. Yeah. And that'll always be the ultimate uh, business uh, goal, objective, and we'd have to get creative. Uh, we try to do it more through social media and more direct to the customer yeah. uh, rather than try to, you know, I prefer invest more in the product and still keep the price reasonable for the end user, which means sometimes squeezing out the distribution model and their mm -hmm. price margins. Yeah. If I needed to keep another level of sales in there, I may have to go cheaper on the product. And I don't want to do that. I, I, I need it. So I think we can do that in this environment. It's more work for us. We won't carry the numbers the big brands do possibly. Um, but at the end of the day, we are going to, we're, we're going to put out equipment that we guarantee you that you're going to enjoy. And you're not going to have, bust your head trying to figure out which, what size do I need. We're not going to make 10 on board yeah. and five different model kites. You know, as we see what we need, we'll put it out there. But it is still a challenge. Distribution globally is still a challenge. There's a lot of places in this world, uh, Tona doesn't have a presence yeah. um, until somebody who travels, picks up a Tona kite on the board and brings it back home. And all of a sudden, we can almost track that customer where they land mm -hmm. because all of a sudden we started getting inquiries yeah. from that area. And that's really nice. That's, a yeah, that's that organic. A and it, it's, it is nice. We can you can plot a map yeah. uh, of, of a customer where they travel to and, and automatically we get the feedback. So we can reach the people, uh, not in the, the numbers that we would like, uh, say, uh, uh, some you know, Harvard business guy would, would like to achieve, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll, we'll go to that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Cool, man. And, you know, because you spend a lot of your time, you know, you spend a lot of your whole life pretty much building boards, kiting, and obviously Tona, you've been at it yeah. for a little while. So these days, when what does your dream day look like? <laughs> What's a good day for Derek wow. as the you know guy who's in charge of a lot of stuff, trying to achieve a lot of things? What's a good day look like? You know, <laughs> that's a good one. Work or not work related, or is there a 
mix of both. It always seems to be a mix of both. Because for me, I'm the kind of person, that even while they're having fun, my brain is still going, oh, this is good. How can I apply this to this product yeah, in Tona? Yeah, yeah. How can I move that into this? How can I make this better? So a good day for me is uh, tropical weather. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You got to yeah. start off the day with some nice warm sunshine. I have some sunshine. Some breeze. Feel like get out of bed without a, t- without a t-shirt on. You know, just move the curtain, see what's blowing. Um, that's a good, if I can get on the ocean, that's it. Surfing, you know, now wind falling, kiteboarding, anything to get me on the ocean. Because at the end of the day, that, that's what inspires me. That's what got me here. Yeah. You know, I remember at first when you know, my son Kane was getting involved in it, you know, he said, God, Dad, you're going out, we have stuff to do. You're going kiting. I'm like, <laughs> you know, for me, that, that's, that's a creative process. Yeah. If I didn't have that 20 years ago, we wouldn't have a toner. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, maybe putting some stuff off. You know, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what gets, so that's a fun for me. And I think it all comes back to enjoying it. So I have to continue to make toner part of that joyful process yeah. and not a chore. Yeah, yeah. If it becomes a chore, I lose a passion for it and, and then I'm not as enthusiastic about it. So I kind of make sure that, my, and, and it's grown that way, that my fun day is an inspiration to my work day. Yeah. And I try to keep that in line. Yeah. yeah, and that's the dream. If you can find that balance, then, yeah. you're, then you're good because all this stuff, you know, life's a long journey and if you can integrate things yeah. that are going to help you business-wise and just feel good inside, like that's that's the magic. I think, you know, I don't think that's how I got it. I'm not a natural salesman, uh, you know, so I kind of think if I can create something that you go on and, and, and makes your, your, your fun day a better fun day, yeah. Bingo! I'm happy, <laughs> you know, and and, that, and that's what it is all about. And it's got to stay that way for me. And you know, um, it's just too much pressure to try to meet certain sales targets and make sure we do this. At the end of the day, that won't happen unless I keep inspiring people, yeah. you know. And 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 I can hopefully uh, I can inspire people by by creating something that that helps them out, you know. But that fun day is is it's the goal. Yeah. Get that fun meter pegged, <laughs> you know. All the way, red line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome, man. Yeah, so kind of rounding up here, you know, is there anything else you want to touch on? Anything that's on your mind? Anything you... No, you know, I think you asked some pretty good questions. I haven't thought about them for a long time. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, it, it's been really nice to see your you know, your career grow. Yeah. You know, from, you know, I, I say, it's not, it's not the old dude now, but yeah, from this <laughs> high, you know, uh, you are what it's about, as you know. You know, you're a big part of Tona, and I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm... When I saw you that age, I know you were going to be a part of this, and I, nobody knew what capacity or what yeah, it's going to be, yeah. and nobody knows what it's going to turn out to be. But, you know, showing up at the beach, seeing your dad helping you kiteboard, and we're all there, and we know each other for years. That's yeah. what it's about, you know. Right. And now that you're part of the Tona family, that's just, as far as I see it, that's just the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> you know? Man, I appreciate it, yeah, because from, as you say, a little grommet yeah. up until yesterday, today, yeah. You know, you've definitely helped morph me into being able to be sitting here yeah. doing a podcast about the stuff we like. So <laughs> isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? Thank you enough, you know. No, man, that's awesome. I I, I still look back at the old videos I took yeah. of you and yeah, you. Yeah, those are like some the of the first, first videos ever. <laughs> yeah, so yeah that was some good stuff, you know. And then you know the family's growing. Dre just had a kid, you yeah. know. Yeah, uh, you know. And the same thing with Dre, you know. He's, he, we all going through different phases of life, but we all, we all driven by the same passion, yeah. you know. And that's what I realized. Is I, you know. I, I'm the same era as your dad, and you know, but we still talk about the same love of the ocean and yeah, uh, and, and on what we care about. And so. when we're not working, we're hanging out together anyway, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's all good. It's all good. Awesome, Dula. Yeah, it was super fun to kind of just have this chit chat and you know yeah. get it documented so we have it forever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Next time, come in the shaping room and we'll see some 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 work in action. For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool.
That's pretty much it. All right, guys. So, yeah, big thanks for tuning in. You know, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple, just make sure you subscribe. Leave a review if you're here on YouTube. Subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. And if you want to check out more about what Tone is up to, just head over to tonelife.com and check out what we're up to. All right, guys. Big thanks for tuning in. And see thanks. you guys soon in another episode. Peace, love, and big ups. ups. <laughs>